Taiwan has confirmed its first COVID-19 cases of unknown origin in connection to a hospital cluster in Taoyuan. Two local cases were announced Sunday, both with, with an infection source that could not be identified. In response to the development, officials have placed the hospital's entire inpatient ward on the highest alert level. This means an estimated 5,000 more people will need to undergo home isolation. Today, there are two new local cases, number 889 and 890. Our preliminary investigations indicate that their symptom onset date was January 20th. 889 had been an inpatient in hospital room 12A. 890 is a family member who lives with 889. The relevant epidemic investigations are underway. What was the source of infection exactly? That's the most important thing for us to clarify. These are the hospital's first cases in which the origin of infection could not be easily identified. The newly diagnosed patients had been active in the hospital's green zone, which was previously thought to be a low-risk area. In response, the CECC has raised the alert level of all inpatient wards to high risk. We're going to expand our home isolation measures for people identified in this latest round of contact tracing. This applies to anyone who, between January 6th and 19th, was discharged from Taoyuan General Hospital and their carers, as well as anyone who has since been living with them. All of these people will need to undergo home isolation. Upon the completion of home isolation, we'll arrange for them to be tested, and they'll need to undergo seven days of self-health management. Currently, we're unable to confirm the number of carers, but I think that nearly 5,000 people will need to go into home isolation. With containment measures escalating quickly, one expert says authorities initially underestimated the threat of the hospital cluster. At the beginning of this, controls should have been placed on the entire hospital. They were a little slow on the uptake. That is a fact. Taiwan hadn't had any of these more serious hospital cases. That resulted in the outbreak being taken too lightly at the time. When infections occur in a hospital, transmission doesn't only occur through droplets during face-to-face -face interactions. If the virus contaminates the hospital environment, there's a possibility of infection through indirect contact. At the outset, we carried out an epidemic investigation. Based on our pre-established standards, we identified people who needed to be quarantined. In addition, we launched COVID-19 screenings over a very wide area considered risky. However, in hindsight, it wasn't wide enough. Of course, these are all issues we will review and improve on in the future. With officials reassessing policy continuously, COVID-19 controls are tightening day by day. In the weeks before Lunar New Year, the CECC is racing to plug the loopholes in its COVID-19 response. As Taoyuan grapples with a growing hospital cluster, reports have emerged that the outbreak's first local patient, a doctor, blames himself for creating the crisis. Central Epidemic Command Center Chen Shizhong responded to the reports on Sunday. Anyone who experienced something like this would continuously think about what exactly happened at the time and what he went through. But you shouldn't think about this kind of thing for a long time. If you do think about it for a long time, it's like bashing your head against a brick wall. Of course your mood would be affected. 
Thinking about it is too exhausting. You should just let yourself relax and then you wouldn't put too much pressure on yourself. After the coronavirus cluster broke out at the hospital, the hospital activated an emergency care team to support the psychological health of medical and nursing staff. On Sunday, Chen said he would ask the emergency care team to communicate with the doctor involved. Well, dental professionals are at a higher risk for COVID infection since procedures like teeth cleaning generate aerosols from the patient's mouth. The Central Epidemic Command Center says precautions should be taken when providing the essential service of dental care. One dental clinic announced Sunday that it's switching from high-speed hand tools to more basic instruments that reduce splash and splatter. Before seeing patients, these dentists not only don a mask, goggles and gown, they also wear face shields for an extra layer of protection from infection. We at the dental office call up the patients before their appointment to see if they have respiratory tract symptoms, unexplained diarrhea or fever, etc. These are all safeguards against infection during dental work via the patient's saliva and nasal droplets. Dentists have grown increasingly cautious after it was reported that patient number 881 had seen a dentist while running a fever. CECC Chief Chen Shizhong has issued a notice to hospitals saying that in these extraordinary times, dentists can simplify their care for potential COVID patients to prevent aerosol spray. At hospitals, if the patient could potentially have COVID or other related infectious diseases, general dental treatments should be simplified. Simplification means choosing stopgap measures. We can choose equipment that doesn't produce aerosols. For example, before we might have used high-speed or ultrasonic handheld tools for cleaning teeth. Now we might clean teeth manually. Amid the pandemic, asymptomatic carriers can easily become a contagion risk. Dental professionals have become more alert and raised their safety standards to prevent the virus from spreading. The director of one of Taiwan's most successful movies of all time, Cape Number no. 7, has launched his most ambitious project yet. Wei Deshen plans to tell the story of Taiwan over four centuries in his upcoming Taiwan trilogy. But with a lack of commercial investment hampering the project, Wei has turned to online crowdfunding. His campaign has already gathered 120 million NT dollars in donations. Investors say, if the money doesn't come in, how will you pay me back? If I don't make money, if I lose money, how will you pay me back? I have no answer to that. What can I say? You gambled and I lost. How can I lend you it back? Wei has been there and back again with movie investors. In Taiwan, 9 out of 10 films make losses. That's a hard sell in the investment market. To shoot the Taiwan trilogy, Wei has partnered with a fintech platform in the hope of attracting donations from those who want a hand in the film's production. I can't get a loan from anyone. I can't get investors. Of course, making dreams doesn't necessarily mean having an object to show. Sometimes it means participating in the production of something. The campaign has two sponsorship tiers to choose from. Donate 240,000 NT and get rewards including cinema tickets and memorabilia and trips to indigenous villages. You can even get a signed brick from the village, symbolizing your contribution to Taiwan's cinematic infrastructure. Donate 360,000 NT and claim tickets and memorabilia as well as trips to the set. 
with the chance to participate in the film's construction, filming, or post-production, and take the life of a filmmaker. What's special is we're using these financial tech tools so that everyone who supports cinema can take part in the production and shooting of movies. I think this is a priceless opportunity and priceless experience. The Taiwan Trilogy will tell the story of Formosa over the last 400 years as the island stepped onto the global stage. The project includes three feature films, a documentary and an animation. Since the first stage of the campaign was launched, 120 million NT has already come in from 24,000 individual supporters. The goal is 4.5 billion. Wei is in for a marathon, not a sprint. Well, in these pandemic times, disease detection technology is crucial to a country's ability to control an outbreak. Today in our special Sunday report, we turn to an unconventional technology for sniffing out disease. That's right, dogs. Researchers are exploring the potential of detection dogs, finding them to be useful in the screening of diseases like COVID and even cancer. Researchers are also experimenting with robotic systems that can act in a similar way to detection dogs. These robots and detection dogs open up new possibilities for countries seeking to screen for contagion and protect their borders. Its small body darting from suitcase to suitcase, the dog sits in place once it detects a suspicious odor. This was taken in 2018 when African swine fever was at its height. Quarantine efforts at the Taiwan Taoyuan International Airport relied on this beagle's keen sense of smell. One after another, packages containing smuggled pork were seized by authorities. A dog's olfactory cells are very different from those of humans. Humans have roughly 5 million of these cells, while dogs have around 200 million of them. The things a dog is able to smell are much greater in number than those humans can smell. In 2020, humans are pinning even greater hopes on this ability of dogs. COVID-19 has claimed over 1.5 million lives worldwide and over 70 million have become infected, causing countries everywhere to shut their borders and to subject the few visitors allowed in to rigorous testing. In Northern Europe, Finland is bravely entrusting part of this task to a group of four-legged personnel, hoping their keen senses will help detect arriving travelers that are carrying the virus that causes the disease. First, we have people enter this small room where they swap themselves to collect a sample, which is deposited into a container. I place that next to a container with a contrasting sample and ask the dog if it detects anything in the samples. Finland's use of scent detection in place of throat swab tests defies the imagination, leading some to ask whether a disease really produces a scent. Cirrhosis patients produce a smell that, if you stand next to them, you will detect as the scent of ammonia. Sometimes patients with pneumonia will produce gases that you will detect as many strange smells. Sometimes those smells are from Pseudomona aeruginosa, but not everyone can smell it. Normal cells and cancerous cells are different, and they travel a different metabolic path in the body. Dogs have a sense of smell several magnitudes greater than that of people, and when they smell a person's body, they may be able to detect the presence of cancerous cells. This is because when the byproducts of metabolism are produced, if they are able to volatilize, when they volatilize, they will produce a scent. So the question is, can we use this ability of dogs to smell cancer cells? 
to detect whether a person has cancer? Aside from cancer, researchers have discovered that dogs can detect diabetes, malaria, Parkinson's, and other diseases, and they do this with a level of accuracy greater than 60%. In recent years, medical organizations in Taiwan have been researching the use of dogs to detect cancer. Breast cancer specialist Jiang Quinjun hopes that dogs can be used to detect patients with early-stage breast cancer. To train dogs to recognize the smell of breast cancer, Jiang plans to collect urine samples from 25 breast cancer patients and 25 healthy women. Once collected, the samples will be sent to a laboratory and training will begin. There is the question of what dogs are most suitable for use in cancer detection. The main point, if I have to choose, would be how active the dog is. The more active, the better. The more unruling they are, the more I like them. Unruling dogs tend to be more curious. If a dog is too quiet, all they can do is wait for someone to give them commands they will be harder to train as a detection dog. As the camera approaches him, he explodes with excitement. This is Chen Chen. He is a detection dog specializing in detecting bladder cancer. To test his ability, we have invited a trainer who has brought seven urine samples, including one from a cancer patient, to conduct a blind test. The trainer takes three milliliter samples of urine and deposits them onto cotton swabs. Of the seven petri dishes, only one contains a sample from the cancer patient. These samples are then brought to the lab, where they are placed into special receptacles designed for detection dogs to use. After the preparations are complete, the test begins. We are now doing the bladder cancer test. Receptacle number one has the cancer patient sample. In a moment, we will ask Chen Chen to help us do a test. As soon as he enters the test room, Chen Chen approaches the samples with familiarity. One by one, he smells the receptacles in sequence. Before long, he successfully finds the right sample, stopping in front of receptacle number one and sitting down. To check that Trenchin hasn't simply made a lucky guess, the trainer moves the samples and calls him back in to do the test again. Trenchin finds the correct sample again and sits down in front of it like before. This lab has now completed 200 experiments with detection dogs and discovered an accuracy rate of 86%. However, for hospitals, the lab results only demonstrate that detection dogs can help doctors conduct risk assessments. They cannot replace tests conducted with precision instruments. My view of detection dogs is that I don't think they can replace all of the bladder cancer tests currently used. However, they can help us make a judgment call and determine if someone is high risk. If they are high risk, then we can pay greater attention to that, employing the test devices we currently have to do a follow-up. 
In principle, the dog is a tool for detection, not a tool for confirmation. Early detection means early treatment, but that is easier said than done. In their endless battle to diagnose patients at the opportune time, medical specialists are constantly researching effective detection methods. Here at the National Tsinghua University Electrical Engineering Department's lab, a student is blowing air into a plastic bag, which is then connected to an electric circuit board to perform analysis with the computer. This is an electronic nose. It simulates the functions of a biological nose and attempts to detect the odors produced by illnesses. This rectangular section is a gas chamber. It allows the gases that enter to undergo reactions and then be expelled. It's like our noses through which we breathe air into the nasal cavity. That nasal cavity is like this gas chamber. Every odor has its signature, its thumbprint. We use this integrated system, which has all these different sensors that combine to look at patterns. This electronic nose can categorize different gases, such as those expelled by pneumonia patients and healthy people. Indicated clearly by blue and red graph lines, data from two test groups are displayed, as well as data indicating what bacteria strains led to infection in the two groups of patients. The blue line represents a patient infected with bacterium Klebsiella pneumoniae, and the red one is another type. As you can see, it has clearly separated the two, which means that I know with 100% certainty that this person was infected with this bacterium. The blue line in this graph represents a Pseudomonas aeruginosa infection. You can see that I am able to take this, as well as three other bacteria represented, and completely separate them. Do diseases give off odors? Not necessarily, but they produce gases that can be tested for. There are some volatile gases called volatile organic compounds, which have high vapor pressure. There are some things you cannot smell. Think about carbon monoxide. You can't smell it, but you can test for it. Faced with diseases undergoing constant change, tools like electronic noses and detection dogs can help medical professionals get a solid handle on detection and analysis. They could prove an invaluable weapon in the battle against the spread of infectious disease.